This podcast is edited and partly recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello everyone, welcome to Books Without Borders, the podcast where two people in different hemispheres come together to talk about our favourite things, books. I'm Emma. And I'm Nina. And we have already (laughs) skipped a week again, thanks to, once again, my health. But we're back, and hello, how are you? Doing good. I am glad to hear your health is back up to recording standard. Yes, just not quite back up to editing standard, unfortunately. So once again, (laughs) I have hit a backlog just as I had managed to almost clear it. But hey, such is life. Such is life. So it goes. Yes. As the great Kurt Vonnegut said. Oh, okay. Good quote. That's his thing. How is your traveling going? You're in a different location today. I am in a different location. I am at a sort of hotel. It feels like a very traditional hotel. Like maybe what I imagine a hotel might have been like 50 plus years ago, where it's just like a house with a lot of little rooms and sliding doors. It's very Japanese. But anyway, I decided to do a little solo trip this weekend since we have Monday off for a holiday and I have gone to one city and I plan to go to another tomorrow. Uh, The first is Nara. It is known for the bowing deer. I don't know if you've seen like videos of this online ever but they have like these domesticated deer that just like run around the city. I mean not the whole city but like mostly around this one park but they're just like in the streets and like they just walk up to you and just like nudge you and you can feed them because they sell like little deer crackers and all the deer are just fiending for those crackers it's really cute i can send you a picture it's amazing it's like baby deer and like mama deer and then they also have some i don't know what you call like a male like a bull kind of deer they have some of those and i even witnessed two of them start fighting it was kind of alarming like these deer are are domesticated but they're also totally wild in that like they will bite you (laughs) Wow. But they're not afraid of people at all. So it was very, very cute. I'd never, like, pet a deer before because, Mm. you know, usually they're very timid. But not these deer. Not these deer at all. And I went on a little hike. And it was okay. It wasn't really a little hike. It was kind of like a three-hour hike in total. But it was, Mm -hmm. like, up a mountain, a small mountain, up a mountain, and then basically flat until I got to this beautiful waterfall and Mm. I got to like swim in the waterfall it was so like fairy in the woods (laughs) (laughs) and then I returned and by the time I got back to the mountain top it was like sunset so it was just like a really beautiful day then I had a Mm. nice dinner so yeah that was Nara love Nara highly recommend super cute town I wish I had more time there but I got there kind of late because of uh, reasons I didn't know where I was going to sleep last night because I messed up with my planning but I did find a place and I got here and I slept well so that was my day yesterday and today I'm going to Kyoto oh awesome very excited about that Great. Fantastic. How have your two weeks been? So not great. The first week was lots of health issues at the same time as my birthday. So that was great. My body has a habit of being not good around the time of my birthday. This happens almost every year that it'll spring like a really heavy period on me around the time of my birthday. No matter how many hormone controls I'm on. It'll happen almost every year. It's like some weird 
irony curse. It's a gift. <laughs> sure. <laughs> And my dad also got COVID, so we had to delay all my birthday plans. And my mom and I were kind of doing paranoid COVID checks every day. Well, for her, it was less paranoid because she lives with him. But for me, it was slightly paranoid. But we were doing the at-home tests every day just to make sure we didn't have it somehow. Somehow we both managed to avoid it. But yeah, not a great week. (laughs) And then in this last week, I've been still kind of recovering from that. And then having a few nice little social events, one of which was my belated birthday gathering with my parents and my grandmother and my housemate yesterday. And my family delivered on a lot of books that I can talk about later in our whole section. So get ready. Exciting. (laughs) Love that. Yeah, other than that, what what other news do I have? Oh, yes, I have been doing a lot of writing in the last week especially, and one of the reviews that I wrote actually got published practically instantly, which is unusual, so the author must have just been really proactive, or the publisher or whoever. And this one is for a book called Zona, The Forbidden Land. This is a speculative fiction book. It's like speculative fiction and mystery thriller at the same time and my thoughts on that can be found in the link in the show notes on onlinebookclub.org very exciting love that can't wait to hear about it i guess a bit more of an overview of the book to just kind of give you a little bit more so zona the forbidden land zona refers to a part of siberia in well a fictional part of siberia where essentially there's been some interesting scientific phenomena there's some secrecy around it and there was an expedition that went badly and the main character's uncle died missing presumed dead is the official line. There's the main mystery involved there. So he's curious about what's happened to his uncle. And that's kind of the opening premise of the book there. And things only get more interesting and wild in both the figurative and literal sense as you go on. And yeah, if you want any further insights into my views on the book, you will have to read my written review in the show notes. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds really good. Can you tell us your score? Nope. (laughs) Oh, gotcha. I'm a tease. (laughs) Totally fair. (sighs) I actually have one other note for this past two weeks that's like craft related. Ooh, okay. So last weekend, my friends and I went to a small town outside of Tokyo to make our own chopsticks oh so it was like a little shop you could go to in this very cute town outside of tokyo and went to the shop where you choose whatever wood you want they had like 20 different options and they have different like green patterns and colors like natural colors you know Mm. like there's like a natural purple and a natural red really really beautiful i went with one that was a very like sort of zebra-ish dark and light grain pattern Mm. and they turned out so cool here wait do you want me to show you please and if you could take a photo for our imja album for this episode that would be awesome oh absolutely okay so here we have some chopsticks oh gorgeous pretty is that the grain on this is incredible i believe it's a wood called bacote here's some like chopstick asmr (laughs) 
and yeah it was actually like very easy to do surprisingly easy and fun so you choose the wood and then you like sort of like shave them down with these very artisanal tools mm -hmm. and stuff and sand them and then coat them in i believe a soybean oil mm. and it's just nice because here you get a lot of disposable chopsticks at stores or at restaurants or grocery stores or wherever you're eating and it's just like a lot of extra waste mm. so I've been carrying these around, making sure that I never take disposables, trying to, to cut down on the waste. Because I will say one thing about Japan is that though they have a great recycling system and it's very clean and everything, there is a lot of like plastic waste. I think mm. because there's a culture of intense like hygiene control, mm. you mm. know, like I think it's sort of maybe seen as like gross to like not have layers of plastic on all the vegetables. Right. I don't know exactly what it is, but um, there is a lot of plastic waste. So I thought this would be a nice way to sort of like cut down in one way. I'm always looking for additional ways to do that so yeah that's awesome very proud of that but that's so cool i love that yeah it'd be a great like souvenir as well that i can yeah. like always use yeah that's fantastic practical souvenirs are the best types of souvenirs yes absolutely so how has your week in reading been so i have you know aside from book review type reading i have finished two books how about you i finished one book and i'm currently reading two all right. Well, I am actually not currently reading one because I just finished a book review related book last night. And so I haven't actually started my next proper read. That's three total for you, two total for me. So why don't you get us started? Sure. Okay. So I finished Bluebeard by Kurt Vonnegut. Oh. And I really, really liked it. I'm giving it 4.25 stars. Okay, I just had to turn my AC on because it was getting quite warm in this room. Japan is a very hot, humid country, especially at this time of year, even getting into September, surprisingly. So um, We can only sacrifice so much for the sound quality of the podcast and the brain function required to produce the words for the podcast requires that Nina's brain is not melting. Yes, yes, the air conditioner cleared some brain fog I was having about trying to describe this book. So let me give that another shot and if you hear noise in the background from my air conditioner, please excuse. <laughs> so, Kurt Vonnegut's Bluebeard. I really enjoy this one. As I talked about last week, there are two sort of types of Kurt Vonnegut's, and this falls into the more like a realistic category rather than the sci-fi category. Mm -hmm. And I generally really enjoy how the more realistic ones center around like one or two core themes. And the books can often be boiled down to like Kurt Vonnegut's thoughts on X and Y, you know, or X, Y, and Z. And this one, the central themes were art and artifice. So the narrator of this sort of memoir autobiography is a painter who was deeply within the world of the abstract expressionist movement in the 20th century in the US. And he sort of mixes characters who were real people like Mark Rothko and Jackson Pollock who were like in his artist circle right at the time and then also like makes up artists that he knew and so it's kind of like this weird like collaboration between like real and fiction and it tells you a lot about like Kurt Vonnegut's thoughts on modern art you know and like the nature of art that 
maybe doesn't look technically proficient but like has deeper meaning so like conceptual art or expressionist art and so I really enjoyed it personally because I'm into those kinds of discussions of like what art is valuable like how do you understand art and like what does art bring to the world and it was also a lot about like this particular guy's experience in World War II because a lot of Kurt Vonnegut's books are about people who were veterans and his experience in the war was that he created like camouflage paintings to sort of like hide I think planes and and tanks and stuff from mm. enemy lines so he would create these like really realistic camouflage coverings I mm. guess I don't know if this was an actual thing that they did in the war I kind of doubt it because like how is it worth the time and manpower like I don't think it was a real thing but I would be very curious to know if it was because it was an interesting concept you know of like a way that artists were incorporated into the war and so it was a bit about like his struggles as like an up-and-coming artist as well as how he deals with the role of art when the world is you know dealing with much bigger things you know mm, so okay. it was a, it was an interesting exploration and I think like even if you're not into art it would still appeal widely hmm. because it was just an entertaining story and I found that the past elements were just as intriguing as the present elements because mm-hmm. there were some really fun characters some like powerful women characters that I liked hmm. and generally I just like found this to be very like pleasant and enjoyable and at times like almost like giddy you know like I, I felt giddy I should say like I was just very like interested in this guy's life and it kind of felt like reading more of like what Kurt Vonnegut thinks than it felt like reading what fictional character thinks. And mm. I don't know if that's like fair to like totally um, equate their opinions because I don't think it was like necessarily all of Kurt Vonnegut's opinions, but it really did feel like um, just a, like the character was a vessel for Kurt Vonnegut's ideas, which mm. I mean it is true for a lot of artists for a lot of writers, but it almost felt like um, a nonfiction sort of philosophy text on art by Kurt Vonnegut in a way so I really enjoyed Mm. that because I just like his ideas and I like the way he sees the world I think it's quite entertaining even when I don't necessarily agree I always feel like that's a that's a fair and intriguing point you know so Mm. I thoroughly enjoy this one it's definitely going up higher on my list I think this is my eighth Kurt Vonnegut which I might have mentioned last time and it's within the top four Mm. I believe excellent so very exciting. Of the Kurt Vonnegut's I have left, I believe I have only, I think there are 12 novels, and then there's some other like short story or essay collections and things like that, but I'm getting pretty close to the end of the novel collection mm. of Kurt Vonnegut, which is pretty tragic, but I'm also not like waiting on that or anything. Like I, I, do, I do want to read them, and I'm excited to read them. I anticipate rereading a Kurt Vonnegut or two in the coming maybe let's say six months to a year because I um, am reaching the five-year limit or I'm reaching the five-year mark on my favorite book which is Sirens of Titan and Mm. I feel like that's when I really want to prioritize the reread on because it's you know my favorite book and like an identity piece about me you know Um, so I definitely see myself rereading that one I generally highly recommend this one if you prefer Kurt Vonnegut's more like philosophical realist work and if you're particularly interested in art but I don't think that's a requirement either so mm-hmm. so yeah this was a great read and I'm, I'm glad I had an excuse to pick it up. Fantastic I'm very pleased that Vonnegut continues to meet and exceed your expectations. Yes absolutely <laughs> I just think 
I think he'd be a great guy to have a conversation with. He's definitely one of my top, like, dead people at a dinner table. Yes, yeah. <laughs> figures. Um, honestly, like, sometimes I read his work and I feel like I have a crush on him. You know, like, I'm just <laughs> reading his work. And it's like, you know when you're talking to someone you're crushing on where you just really admire their ideas even if you don't necessarily, like, think exactly the same as them? You just like the way it feels to talk to them. Mm. And that's how I feel when I'm reading Kurt Vonnegut. Like, I just get really excited because, I don't know, he's just a funny, charming guy. Um, (laughs) And I like the way he sees the world. Nice, nice. Love it. Yeah, totally. Totally crush. Totally celebrity, dead celebrity crush. (laughs) (laughs) He's up there for me. (laughs) Nice, nice. Which is a funny one. I tend to like the dorks, so that kind of fits my patterns. (laughs) Nerd guys are underrated. (laughs) Totally, totally. (laughs) Speaking of fictional philosophical reads, one of the books I finished in the last two weeks was Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, and I still don't really know how I feel about it, to be honest. I ended up giving Mm. it a 3.75, mostly because Corpile spat out a 4, but like the number next to it was a fairly borderline, fairly low number like it was fairly close to tipping into a 3.5 so I gave it a 3.75. I was so grateful to have the core pile for this one because this is exactly the type of book that pre-core pile days I would just not have given a star rating to because I just never know what to do with books like this rating wise otherwise. (laughs) It's one of these stories that anyone who's reading it will get different things out of. It's designed to be a reflective piece. It's very much to do with one person's journey to figuring out what he needs out of his life. I did enjoy it. I did find that a lot of the messages that were being conveyed were poignant, and so I do recommend it on that front. In fact, I would highly recommend it just because It does seem like just one of those books that you're going to get something out of it at some point in the Mm. book. Like, not all the chapters are made equal for everyone, but I feel like there's going to be something at some point in that book that's going to resonate. But it's a very challenging one to talk about because, as with a lot of these kind of meditative style books, it's very personal in terms of what your reaction to it is going to be. And its main fault for me in terms of like call pile numbers was intrigue. With the Audrey read-alongs, I have every other time been really looking forward to every single morning waking up, listening to my chapter of whatever book we're reading. With Siddhartha, you know, there were only 14 days in this read-along because it's a short book and some of those days were like catch-up days. I think there were only, yeah, there were only 12 chapters in it. And I forgot... (laughs) to read it on multiple days and had to use those catch-up days. That has never happened to me in any of the other Audrey read-alongs. I've never forgotten to pick up the book that we're reading because this book does not draw you in. It's not designed for that and therefore the intrigue score had to be quite low. (laughs) At no point in this book are you wondering like, oh, what's going to happen next? (laughs) You know, I must pick this up again, you know? So it's not surprising to me that once you put this down you just kind of didn't pick it up again (laughs) it's like it's a pretty easy book to just not pick up again but that's not to say that it's not worth reading it is one of those books that 
it's definitely worth reading. It just, it needs to be the right time. I'm not saying it wasn't the right time for me to read it. I don't know if it ever would have been the right time for me to read this, to be completely honest. I am by nature a very self-analyzing person. And so pretty much any time is going to be the right time for me to read this book. And pretty much any time is also going to be the wrong time for me to read this book in the same vein, because I already overanalyze everything to the point <laughs> of a lot of books like this seeming irritating at times and then at other times helpful. So there are some chapters where I'm just kind of going, yeah, duh. And then there are other times when I'm going, oh, that's actually a really useful life lesson. So like I said, very, very much this book is going to hit differently depending on where you are, depending on what your thought processes are. But as an experience and as something to read, I would definitely recommend it because you never know what you're going to get out of it until you try. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would align with that review. Absolutely. Like, that's how I think I felt when I was reading it as well. Like, I did thoroughly enjoy this as a read just because it was atmospheric in a way that I liked and it was philosophical in a way that I liked. But it, like you said, like, it was not a book that I was, like, craving the next line, you know? Yeah. And honestly, it's kind of, now that you're talking about it, making me want to pick it up again. Because like you said, like, right time, right place. I feel like the right time and right place is being here in Japan where I'm surrounded yeah, by so much Buddhist philosophy. <laughs> yeah, like, in my art classes and stuff. Yeah. So I know I have to have my mom send me a few things from home and maybe I'll add that to the list. I have my copy at home mm. but that's a good point so maybe that'll be a book talk coming up soon I, I don't know I would love to do a book talk on this because I think okay. it would be really interesting to discuss which chapters did and didn't resonate because right. we have a lot of like political and world views and like mental health views and stuff like that that do align very strongly but then there's also a few other things that we kind of differ quite strongly because you know, to make it more black and white than it actually is. But, you know, just to simplify, you're much more of an optimist. I'm much more of a cynic. Right. Um, <laughs> which was most obviously portrayed in our different readings of Peter Pan, I think. <laughs> if people didn't hear our thoughts on that, go back to the episode titled, I think I titled it something along the lines of the most we've ever disagreed on a book or something like that. Editing Emma will insert here what the actual name of that episode is. Editor's note, hello, this is editing. Am I here? That episode is episode number 37 and it's called The Largest Rating Discrepancy We've Ever Had. I would actually really love to do a book talk on that if you do okay, um, good end to up know. reading that one. Yeah. That's definitely motivation. Yeah. I, I feel like it's fitting the vibe of this moment. Mm. Maybe because I'm on this like solo trip right now and being very reflective. Mm. But just in general, I think it would fit. I will say I do have some questions about why this book is like, okay, why was this book written by a German person? You know what I mean? Like from a Christian background, right? Yeah, this former kind of former Christian. Why was yeah. this book written by a German Christian, and why is it one of like the foremost texts on Buddhist philosophy in the West? Well, the you thing know? is, it's not really Buddhist philosophy fully. I would say. I mean, it's like it's the story of the Buddha and like how he came to be. I actually okay. It's not. I will preface by saying, but he, the main character is the Buddha. No, he just shares a name Isn't with him. It? Because he comes across oh. the Buddha in, like, chapter three. Oh. I always thought this was, like, a retelling of the story of the Buddha. No. I clearly... 
didn't finish this book. <laughs> no, no. In chapter three, he actually talks to the Buddha who's referred to as Siddhartha Gautama because that was his name. Gautama was oh, his okay. surname. He just shares the first name with him. Oh, okay. That actually there's totally there's changes. parallels. There's definite parallels in the right. in in like where they come from and stuff, and that's intentional. And, like, the sharing of the first name is intentional. And, like, the fact that they both come from a higher family, they kind of feel the need to get out of that space. And, you know, that that, that mm. origin, that similar origin is intentional. But, no, this character is a contemporary of Buddha. Like, Buddha is in the story as a separate okay, character. Okay, okay, yeah. yes. You know, now that you're saying that, I do remember him referencing the Buddha, but I think in my mind I had thought it was like either a reflection or like a projection of the future because I really thought this book was about the story of the Buddha. No, um, it's not. I was totally yeah. wrong on that though. Okay, well, let me let me scratch that thought. No, 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 no. Um, that, that's a good rewind. thing to have on record actually because I think that's probably a common misunderstanding. Because they share name and stuff, that's probably something that people fairly commonly believe. Right. I guess that. I think I thought that partially just because the the book is called called Siddhartha. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. partially because I think I maybe I just like had this idea that it was about that going in, and so I was like fitting whatever I was reading into mm. that understanding of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was also a long time ago that I was reading this, but yeah, I think regardless of that change in understanding of what the book is actually like about i still feel kind of ambiguous about the whole aspect of this book which is that it's more of an interpretation of like a buddhist experience mm. rather than a firsthand like let's say own voices mm. you know buddhist experience well, i do want to say, say that it, i do want to say that he specifically doesn't follow the buddhist teachings like that's established in like chapter three so wait like the main character yeah so mm. like there are some parallels to buddhism but this isn't doesn't he become like an ascetic monk yeah but not for the whole book like that's just in early okay. chapters <laughs> oh, so okay. yeah so that's actually a heads up to listeners as well if you're expecting this to be like a fully buddhist text it's actually not it's more of a general philosophical text rather than like a religious parallel okay interesting which is probably is part of why it's become it. popular yeah this is making me want to read it even more because yeah. I clearly my views on this yeah. or like my understanding of this book were like totally skewed. I mean, don't get me wrong. It definitely has massive parallels to Buddhist views, like the messages that he ends up finding. Like, obviously, I won't spoil them, but like the messages he ends up finding and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's definitely not like pure Buddhism messaging the whole way through by any means. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think I got maybe, like, 50 pages in, so I think okay. that's maybe why my understanding of it was limited to, like, the portions where he becomes a monk, mm. um, and I think I just assumed that he was a monk in the book, because I thought he was Buddha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was Buddha, so I thought that, like, that's the path that yeah. he went on in the book. Okay, so this is making me want to read it even more to, like, actually know what it's about, yeah. but yeah, I think that'll be a really interesting conversation mm. to have about it regardless i found it to be a philosophy text that i could enjoy and get things from in a way that a lot of philosophy texts don't appeal to me mm -hmm. you know like maybe through the guise of like the fiction element the, like the storytelling element i was able to have a little bit more investment in the characters enough to like listen to their ideas rather than mm. like i usually can't read philosophy texts that are just like i don't know sort of like plato where it's like yeah. having a conversation it's just straight philosophy yes yeah like with no plot yeah <laughs> that can be a slog i agree anyway i'm so glad you enjoyed this book 
and I'm glad that we will potentially be talking about it yeah. soon. Again, overall thoughts, 3.75 for me, but mostly due to low intrigue. Which is totally fair. And it's it's a pretty also lack of depth in any character that wasn't Siddhartha, to be completely fair. Well, not any character. There were a couple of other characters that had some depth, but there were a lot that didn't. But again, makes sense in a book that's about his internal journey. So not actually a technical fault of the book. It's just my own personal preferences. So you know, grain of salt. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Alrighty. Was that classic on your scratch-off board? You know, I don't know. I don't ever remember seeing the name of it before, so don't think so, but I'll have to check. I may have just forgotten. Just curious. <laughs> it's a classic that's on a lot of lists, so it's it's possible. It might be. And there yeah. are a lot of books on that. I, I always am looking at that little thing in, <laughs> in the corner of your screen because it's I so, like, intriguing. I haven't updated it in so long. I still haven't even scratched off Frankenstein, which I read in, like, April. Oh, my <laughs> so. gosh. Well, the thing is, with my pots and the thing being attached to the wall, it's actually quite challenging for me to scratch off stuff physically. Right, it's quite fair. challenging. I could take it off the wall to scratch off stuff, but then that requires me to put it back on the wall and then that's a whole thing and at that point you might as well scratch it off yeah standing i mean i guess i don't know how hard it is to scratch it off fairly challenging it probably would actually be worth taking it off the wall um especially if i'm doing multiple books that's probably why i haven't Mm. been doing it because like in the back of my head i'm like i'll just wait till there's multiple so i can i can just like take it off have a thorough scratching session and then put it back on (laughs) 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 anyway What are you currently reading? What's book number one? Book number one is Diary of the Void by Emi Yagi. How is that going? I am about a third of the way through. It's a pretty short book. It's like 200 something pages and it's going quite well. I am so glad I waited to pick this up till I was in Tokyo because there are so many references to just like subtle things about like Japanese life that I might not have understood if I read this when I was in the US or like before I was here about like, I don't know, like their recycling system or like certain <laughs> things at the grocery store, just like things that might've alienated me as a reader before. Cause I was like, I just don't understand like what this means. I don't know how deeply it would have impacted me because they are like very subtle mentions, but reading it now, having experienced those things, I'm like, oh, I know what that means. Oh, I know what that <laughs> means. Oh, I know what that looks like. Like, you know, it's very exciting. So it adds an element of intrigue to the book. The character, basically to restate this, I think I mentioned it when I hauled it an episode or two ago, but to sort of restate the main point of the book is that it's a story of a woman who is feeling like unappreciated and unsort of recognized in her life. And so she decides randomly and suddenly to fake a pregnancy, to like pretend that she's Mm. pregnant when she's not. And she's like trying to keep up this ruse. And so what's interesting is that she goes very quickly from having this sudden idea to almost nearly believing that she is pregnant. Mm. You know, she's like eating in a way that, you know, pregnant people are supposed to eat. You know, she's like, I'm taking care of my body, you know, and all these things like in a way that like you're not like, you know, she knows she's not pregnant because she's not growing, but she's almost also like, why is my belly not growing? Mm. You know, and you're like, well, maybe because you're not pregnant, you know? So it's very intriguing because it's not totally clear yet how properly aware this person is, Mm. you know? And it definitely seems like she might be a little bit unreliable in certain respects just because of her lack of, like, sense of reality, Mm. you know? But it's also, like, 
kind of a it's a very fun read in that you just want to know like how is she gonna fake the next stage of pregnancy <laughs> you know like how is she gonna pull it off and at what point is she gonna give up the ghost because she can't have a child and she's like now past the point of like her first trimester technically where like it would be most likely that she'd have a miscarriage Mm. so like i have no idea where this is gonna go and at what point the ruse will be revealed but it is really interesting as also like a reflection on how women are treated and what that treatment looks like when you are or aren't sort of fulfilling this female role you know obligation to be a baby making machine yeah exactly like before being quote-unquote pregnant she's like treated fairly poorly in the workplace and it's just interesting to see how like she feels sort of invisible and unrecognized for her work until she becomes pregnant and suddenly everyone is like hyper conscious and like venerating her It is interesting to see how there might be differences between the way that women are treated in Japan versus like the US or like my previous experience, what those differences might be. Like for instance, it's very formal in Japan, right? So I think a lot of the time people don't get in your business the way that like in the US you do a little bit more. Like I remember telling you that story about the guy at the diner who started a conversation with me and my mom yeah. when we were in Maine. Um, and how people are like a bit nosy maybe, but in a way that's warm. Mm. Like Tokyo, I think is known for being a slightly isolating city because people are very like kept to themselves, you know? And so I'm kind of seeing that reflected in this book in the way that she doesn't feel seen a lot of the time because everyone minds their own business very intensely right but then when she becomes pregnant the change is like very dramatic because she's not used to like getting that level of attention that i'm sure pregnant women in the u.s or wherever get a lot more attention once they are pregnant compared to like before being pregnant but i think that the change is like pretty distinct based on her like specific experiences in tokyo Mm -hmm. so that's really interesting and like overall i would say like i'm just so glad that i waited to read this book because i'm understanding it a lot more being here in japan and i'm intrigued by this sort of maybe unreliable narrator and like slightly disturbed person i'm curious about where this is going to go it's definitely got me like maybe not on the edge of my seat because it's not like written in this like thriller sort of way it's kind of like she's passing as a pregnant person pretty well (laughs) (laughs) you know so maybe it's just because she hasn't gotten too late in her pregnancy quote unquote but intrigue factors there personal connection is there i'm i'm excited to report on this next week i'll probably have finished it by then because it's it's pretty short great and you said you're not currently reading anything no but i do have another finished book so oh wonderful I also have read Sign Here by Claudia Lux. This was the book that I think I mentioned last week, which was an afterlife story. It's a unique hell-type system, which has multiple kind of levels, and the people in this particular level in hell are required to do the getting people to sell their souls (laughs) type deals, hence the sign here. There's a lot of mystery type elements involved. We get dual perspectives. One, well, 
we get more than dual perspectives technically, but the way the audiobook is done, we've got one voice doing all the hell perspectives and one voice doing all the non-hell, the, the earth perspectives. <laughs> There's one particular family that's being targeted and then they've got some secrets that are being uncovered on that end and then there's other secrets that are being uncovered at the hell end. So there's a lot of mysteries that are being slowly, slowly tied together throughout the book. It's really, really well done in terms of plot. Like, it's just fantastic. And the intrigue factor was so high. Like, I have no... I Honestly, one of the main reasons that I didn't get a lot of editing done apart from my health was every time I went, right, I'm going to listen to one more chapter and then do some editing, I just spent the rest of the night listening to the book because I couldn't turn it off. <laughs> uh, it was very, very good. I ended up giving it 4.5 stars. It wasn't quite a five-star read just because it wasn't super in-depth characters. There, there was a little bit too much going on in terms of a lot of characters for any one of them to have a lot of depth. But it was still a very, very enjoyable read and I would highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in, a, you know, it's it's not... It's an interesting one because I wouldn't say it's like a murder mystery type thing or like a horror book or a fantasy or a thing. It's like a combination of little bits of everything. It's very hard to... It's not really speculative either. It's just, it's it's very hard to pin down a single genre for this one. But it's very much a fun, unique story and has a lot of dark, witty humour at the beginning and gets a bit more into the horror and thriller and mystery sides of things as it goes a bit more deep. But that kind of humorous tone remains through the hell stuff and the narrative voice of Peyote Trip, who's the main character in hell, and general descriptions of what's going on in hell and what hell is described as are very, very witty. And this is Claudia Lux's first book, and I will definitely be keeping an eye on her publications moving forward because I'm very curious to see what she's going to write next. I've just added this to my TBR. It sounds really good based on your review. It sounds like the kind of thing that, like, when you... I think this is for a challenge, right? This was for the Moody's Book Club, yep. Right, because I remember you mentioning this book before, and it kind of sounded like it could possibly be a bit, I don't know, like shallow not shallow but just like a light fluff read you know but it sounds from at least your review that maybe went a little bit deeper or like um, had extra levels of intrigue that like boost boosted it because it sounds like an interesting plot but i was like not sure if it was going to be my vibe but based on your review i think i i think i will read it so i just added it to my tbr the intrigue is definitely there like there's constant intrigue mostly just because you have no idea what a lot of these things have to do with each other for the early parts of the book but not in a confusing way, just in an intriguing way. Like in a, I know that there's something linking these things, but what? Like, it's just very interesting. Mm. Very interesting, very gripping. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Very cool. What's the other book you're currently reading? So the other book I'm currently reading is the first novel that I started for my Japanese literature course. It is Bochan, which is by Natsume Sozeki. Mm -hmm. He is an early modernist writer of like the turn of the 20th century. And this book follows a guy who is a bit of a like a loner, you know? It was compared to like Catcher in the Rye. So it's kind of this guy who's like a pessimist loner who has a funny sort of satirically cynical view on the world. And I am debating if I want to keep going with this one or read a different Soseki because he's 
one of the foundational writers of Japanese literature, and I want to complete one of his novels. And this is the one that we read in class, and I was really liking it, but I was also recommended another by a different professor. So I think it's yet to be seen if I'm going to be finishing this one, but I did get three chapters in and was thoroughly enjoying it. And it's hard to say if it's like the story or the translator. You know, mm. because I think what I was liking about this was the writing rather than the story. Because the story is kind of like, it, it's not really about the story. I think it's, it's more about this internal world of this boy. And like I said, it's hard to say what part of it I'm enjoying more, like the original work or the way that it's written by the translator in English. It's very easy to read, which is really interesting because it's like over 100 years old, mm. but it feels very timeless as many classics do, you know? So yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm going to like sample the other one, which I believe is called Kokoro. And I'm going to sample that one, see how I feel about it, if it like grips me any more than Bochan, because I was really enjoying Bochan. And if not, then I'll continue with Bochan. I want to read at least one of his novels. And this is, that's the one that my class read, I think, because it just was one of the easier ones to sort of pick up a vibe from early on in the book, mm. you know, because we didn't have to read the whole book for the class. We just had to read the first couple chapters right? because we're going to be reading like different sections of books throughout the class rather than like a couple of entire novels. Right. Gotcha. So I think I'm going to pick this one up like on my own or one of Soseki's books on my own. Yeah, I don't, I don't have too much to report other than that I was surprised by how accessible it felt. For sure like it really felt relatable mm -hmm. and like I don't know like I said I don't know if this translator was specifically using a sort of vocabulary and tone that was supposed to be reminiscent of the 20th century of like early 20th century writing or early 20th century English writers or if this tone was translated accurately from the original intention it's really hard to say mm -hmm. I did try to like listen to an audiobook of it and then realize that the audiobook was a different translation and it was like almost not comparable. I could read them and understand what was going on like side by side I mean like with the audio and with the physical but everything was different mm. so like that's interesting how do I describe? Like, yeah I know it was very interesting because I actually listened to two different audiobooks to try and find the same translation and couldn't I don't think this translation that I'm reading is performed in an audiobook because mm. I couldn't find it online. I found two different translations and read the first page with both audiobooks and the physical book, and they were all three quite different. I mean, they ultimately got to the same points, but in very different ways. Interesting. You know? Yeah. Hmm. So I'm very I'm very excited to like learn more about like the art of translation mm. through this class, sort of like unintentionally but inherently. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That's a that's a TBA to be announced sort of thing. TBD. To find out next week. To be discussed. TBT. Yes. To be discussed next week to see which one I continue with but I do want to read one so yeah cool sounds good so we all know I have many books to haul do you have anything you want to haul I do I have one haul so my school's library was doing a little like book exchange situation where they're just giving away a bunch of books and accepting any donations and stuff and so I went through and I found a cool little collection called Unusual Stories from Many Lands by Arlo Jansen hmm. 
I think Arlo Jansen was maybe like the collector of the stories because each story is from a different author mm-hmm. and they're all from authors from around the world, many different like countries represented and it seems like there are a lot of little stories. It's a pretty small book, mm-hmm. like maybe 200 pages and it seemed like there were a lot of stories in it so I think it's going to be like pretty short, mm-hmm. short stories in this collection but it'll be like a taste of a lot of different writing styles and cultures and from different time periods. I think there's like a contemporary student from not that long ago who wrote this one short story and then there's like an Edgar Allan Poe short mm. story and there's like stories from Ireland and from I don't even remember I think there's like one from Bahrain I <laughs> I can't even remember all of the stories because I don't have the physical book with me right now it's in my dorm room but it looks really cool so mm. I don't know when I'll be picking that up but I'm glad I have it that sounds awesome yeah that sounds really interesting it was a fun thing to find in such an international environment you know where I'm meeting a lot of people from a lot of different places totally yeah awesome So this is what everyone's been waiting for. Let's get into your haul because I want to know. I need to know. Give it to me. (laughs) Well, let's start with the ones that I specifically asked for. So my grandmother, every time I have a birthday or Christmas, asks me what I want and I just give her a list. So the first three are ones that I have talked about plenty on this podcast, but I borrowed them from the library and I decided I needed to own them. So first Mm. up we have... The Bandit Queens. I just needed it. I borrowed it from the library. I just had to have it. There is actually also, she's paid me back for a copy of Our Wives Under the Sea because she couldn't find, she couldn't source herself in physical bookshops a copy of the right cover. (laughs) And so I have ordered one, which I had to order in hard copy because all the paperbacks have this like red border Mm -hmm. on it now. And I'm now a little concerned that the hardcover is also going to have the red border on it. I really hope it doesn't because it didn't on the picture. If it turns up with the red border, I'm just going to have to put up with it. I think it looks better in person than it does on the digital image based on a photo you took of it in store when you were holding it in your hand. Because in di- in like the digital image form, it looks even worse. So if it does arrive with a red border on it, I'll have to just live with it. You know, because at least it's better than the other cover that we've spoken about before. The one that's waves but looks like sand dunes. But yeah. Yeah, this was my best hope was to order the hardcover. The reason my hopes have dropped a little bit is because the hardcover is coming from Japan and you found your copy in Japan and it already had the border on it. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what arrives. It hasn't come yet, but I will keep you updated. The other books are hard copies of, again, what I borrowed from the library in ebook form, Her Majesty's Royal Coven and The Shadow Cabinet. They have, unfortunately, because of the way Australia does printing, where the first copies of paperbacks come in these larger copies and then the second printings come in like smaller paperbacks they are two different sizes which I probably should have seen coming when I asked my grandma to get them for me but it's been so long since I bought physical books in a series that I forgot this was a thing that Australian publishers do so I'm just gonna have to live with that as well I forgot that they do this thing where like in the first run of printing they make the books this larger print and then they just don't after that. So yeah, they are two different sizes and I'm just going to have to live with that. That the first one's going to be smaller than the other ones cuz let's face it, I'm I'm now going to pre-order the third book when it eventually comes out <laughs> and the prequel one that's going to come out before that. The other one was I assume from the size just the first volume, but Persepolis in this gorgeous little hardcover copy, which is bright red. I love it. 
It's a beautiful book. It is. And I'm very excited about that. I wasn't sure when I asked her to find it for me whether I was going to be getting just the first volume or like the one that comes in or four, I think it's four volumes in one. I was willing to be surprised with whatever was given to me. And it has turned out to be, I'm, I'm fairly certain, just one volume or one, or maybe one and two, judging by the size of it. Editor's note, it was volumes one and two in that book. And I have since purchased book number two in the matching edition. And that has volumes three and four. So I'm all set now. So next up are the gifts from my parents. First up, we have Humble Pie and Cold Turkey. English Expressions and Their Origins by Caroline Taggart. This cute little book, an etymology book. My mum is very aware of my fondness for finding out where words come from. I'm a bit of a language geek. I forget everything the second I find out. I'm very bad at remembering where words come from, but I love finding out. So um, little books like this are always a treat. And she also hit me with <laughs> the mother load of coffee table books. And they're all adorable. So first up, we have this really cute little collection called The Little Box of Quotes for Lovers of Books, Music and Movies. And it's this teeny tiny little, these little books. And there's three books in here. One for books, one for music, one for movies. And inside, it's literally just like quotes from and about movies and books and music. It's just, yeah, little cute little coffee table books. And... They're extremely aesthetically pleasing. And the aesthetically pleasing books continue with not one, not two, but three cat-related coffee table books. Yes. <laughs> First up, we have All Cats Are Introverts, poems from cats who just need some me time on your sofa, just want to focus on one thing instead of everything they shattered, and just won't answer you no matter how many times you call, by Francesco Marciuliano. Very cute. So that one is one of these ones that's like little poems accompanied with pictures of cats. So I'm going to have fun. I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to have another one of these fun days that I had last year where I just sit down and read a bunch of coffee table books and just have a real nice relaxing day. And we've got The Little Instruction Book for Cats by Danny Boy and Kate Freeman, which is a, be a cat. little illustrated comic kind of style including such gems as boxes are great fun, but before you jump in, make sure you have an exit strategy uh, <laughs> with a particularly large cat in a box on the front cover. So cute. Love and these. And lastly, The Little Book of Cats, Purrs of Wisdom. This one is a book of quotes about cats from famous people. So we've got Virginia Woolf in Jacob's Room, 1922. Kind old ladies assure us that cats are often the best judges of character. A cat will always go to a good man, they say. And the fact that the first page I opened just happened to land on Virginia Woolf is got to be some kind of sign. Bodes well. So does bode well. You know, this reminds me, actually, one of the options, if I wanted to pick up an alternative Natsume Suzuki novel, is that his first novel is called I Am a Cat, and it was written in the perspective of a cat. And um, you didn't pick that one and, up? And, well, <laughs> I didn't think to pick that one up because it's a little bit more, like, out there or, like, different, and I kind of wanted to read more, like, his quintessential work type of thing, but I don't know. Maybe I should just pick up the cat one because that's so cool. And like, I don't know, a book written from the perspective of a cat from the 1800s, kind of crazy. Like, I think like probably 1890s, but you know, still, that, that feels like out there. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. 
Also, and that was his debut novel, and it turned out to be like one that. of the most forerunning and modern writers of Japanese literature. I so love, cool. I love that. Also, not technically books, but my mom got me a new, very pretty notebook, Ooh, which she didn't that. know that my current journal is exactly this color but you know great minds um (laughs) i love when that happens and most excitedly it has a matching sticky note set which i knew you would appreciate oh yeah look at that check that out that's amazing and it's got its own little document wallet but it's literally held together by a piece of string so i don't know how useful that's gonna be (laughs) but it's cute nonetheless so cute I'm like really resisting the urge to buy a new journal because I'm running out of pages in my journal but I'm resisting it because I want to make a journal in my bookmaking class and a matching so. trinket box oh <laughs> it zipped. wow I love that what kind of trinkets do you have uh, I haven't put anything in it yet but oh, oh it's an empty trinket yes. very cute there's very also cute. a mug covered in cats that says loves cats and tea or something <laughs> or reading cat was it reading cats wait I can't remember now drinks tea loves cats Yes. And again, some weird great minds think alike thing with my mum that we have going on. It's from a local Melbourne artist product designer called Abel and Game. And I already own one of her other mugs and a planner of hers. And my mum had no memory of this. (laughs) No idea. (laughs) And she happened to just give me another one of her mugs. And she had absolutely no idea that I already have multiple of her products. (laughs) So obviously my mum and I both have very good taste. (laughs) And lastly, but uh, definitely not leastly, if people will be kind enough to check the Imja album, you will see a glorious present that I technically picked out myself, but my parents were kind enough to pay me back, which is a T2 and Penguin collaboration that was targeted advertised to me on Instagram very well, (laughs) and (laughs) I needed to have it immediately. So you'll see in the photos, but essentially what it is, is a limited edition book tea set where it's a, it's a teacup inspired by Pride and Prejudice and literary worlds generally. Three, well, technically four, four boxes that look like Penguin classic books, three of which are filled with tea and one of which contains a limited edition Pride and Prejudice that has print matching the teacup and please please do yourself a favor and check out the photos in the Imja album because it's beautiful and I'm obsessed I have now seen pictures and am also obsessed this is incredible it's a great collection of tea really stellar tea options and I love the mug and you have to read the book while you're using the mug I think that'll be just perfect I love this for you I love this existence that you have now with this box of tea and books it's so cute yeah also I just want to take a moment to appreciate that every single present I got from my family for my birthday was related to either books cats or tea yes and in fact actually all the tea things were also books or cats related so technically everything my family bought me related to cats or books and (laughs) i am so successful year so so here for how much my family gets me um (laughs) i'm particularly interested in that green rose tea it's so good i love that one that's one of my favorites so i've had 
a lot of the T2 flavors because I, I had subscribed to their like subscription box for a while where they send it out like quarterly back when I had disposable income. And so therefore <laughs> I've tried a lot of the different flavors. Green Rose is one of my favorites. French Earl Grey also up there as one of my favorites and that's one of the other flavors in the box and the new york breakfast actually also very much up there so that's the third flavor in there so you know not as high up as french old gray and green rose which are two of my very very much top favorites of the t2 flavors but the green rose is so good it's essentially a it's a green tea but it's got like a slightly sweet flavor there's also one of my other favorite of theirs in terms of green teas is called Gorgeous Geisha and it's a essentially like a green tea with some strawberry flavoring in it very lightly flavored with strawberry it's so delicious oh my goodness it's oh, their green teas are incredible I love their green teas so much oh amazing yeah. love that do you is T2, recently... is T2 an Australian phenomenon or is it international I don't actually know I don't know of it it's possible it exists in America, but I honestly haven't heard of it before. Okay. So I don't, I would say probably not, but I sh I'm not an authority on this, to be honest. I love tea, but I, I don't know if I'm up in, uh, on the, all the tea business recently. I'd be curious to know. Mm -hmm. I recently came across, though, here in Japan, a tea vending machine, like a vending machine that you can like buy loose tea bags, you know? Mm. So like I got one that I think is rose jasmine tea or something like that so I, it might have green tea as well so it might be a similar sort of like rose green type mm. of tea but i got it from a vending machine where you just like put in like coins and it gives you a bag of loose leaf tea cute so cool. i love that love japan <laughs> i just looked it up t2 is a chain of specialty tea shops with stores in australia singapore and new zealand but it's actually, I didn't realize that not only was it established in Melbourne, which I did know, so it's established in my, you know, home city, it was actually started in the same year I was born. Oh, wow. <laughs> Made for you. Yeah. They just knew you arrived. Yep. <laughs> so, yes. I... So cool. love T2. It's just, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. So, yes. Um, that could not have been a more perfect targeted Instagram ad. Well done. Well done, Meta. You did good. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting very good at knowing exactly what I want. I've also very recently been very well targeted for a lot of like crocheting and wool related and embroidery related ads. And I'm like, nice. I want to be mad, but you keep selling me things I genuinely didn't know existed and now I'm very happy to know exist. Right. <laughs> so like, thank you. I can't even be mad that you're listening to all my conversations because you keep showing me things I want now. Totally fair. The upsides of data mining. Anyway, getting back on track. So yes, I've been spoiled rotten this birthday and I would like to say a big thank you to my family members who do not listen to my podcast, but I'm going to say thank you anyway. <laughs> They're all very busy people. It's fine. I don't take it personally. What an amazing haul. Yes. I'm glad you had such a successful birthday, even though the birthday weekend itself seemed, you know, a little on the rocks. Yeah. But you had a good belated birthday I did. recovery. I did. My belated birthday was very pleasant. <laughs> good. Good. My actual glad birthday was, you know, despite the pain and not being able to move, was actually made quite pleasant as well. My housemate and I spent the day watching Shrek 1 and 2 while eating a large amount of takeaway. So, you know, it was not an unpleasant day. Not entirely. <laughs> it was very chill. That actually sounds quite lovely. Yeah. Nice nostalgia trip. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's all we have for you this week. So thank you everyone for listening. 
We have been Books Without Borders. And as always, you can contact us at bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com. That's bookswithoutborders, P-O-D at gmail.com. There is an Imja album link and a link to the review that I've just had published in the show notes along with every book that we mentioned in this episode and some other stuff we mentioned as well. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.